David Eichel here, HawkeyeInsider.com, another edition of the Swarmcast. Strictly basketball this time, as we'll be recording a strictly football one tomorrow, February 12th on Friday. As always with me is Sean. And Sean, we, you know, there's a lot to talk about with this Iowa basketball team. It's been a very interesting up and down season. Let's, let's really get right into it because I think there's a lot of talking points about this team Let's just start with the most recent update. Obviously, last night, Iowa found a way to get back on track against Rutgers, 79-66. to 66. Joe Wieskamp, I think, played one of his best games of his career, 26 points, 10 boards. Luca Garza used a strong second half, at least offensively, to help give Iowa kind of that final boost. But uh, very good all-around performance, I think, for Iowa. Rutgers did miss some open looks, but I think Iowa – specifically in man defense is starting to figure it out and buckle down. But what are your, uh, I guess, what are your kind of initial takeaways from last night? Because I think it's still hard for me to get a read on this team. Uh, but what, what are your kind of thoughts right now? Yeah. I mean, you don't want to use the word must win, but that was definitely a win that Iowa needed. Not just for the sake of, you know, four game losing streak wasn't for the last five granted, you know, Indiana's been playing better basketball, even though they almost lost to Northwestern last night. Ohio State's been playing like one of the best teams in the country. Illinois's been playing like one of the best teams in the country. And, you know, that was a tough stretch where it was definitely some winnable games, like the games against Indiana at home and on the road. But, I mean, I think the Illinois and the Ohio State losses make a lot of sense. And then you end up getting that win against Michigan State at home, which was expected, but it wasn't as pretty as, you know, a lot of people would have wanted it to be. And last night with Rutgers, I mean, the first time these two played, like Rutgers came into that game top 20 team. And after that loss, they started going on a little bit of a losing streak and then got back on it for a game winning streak and coming into Iowa City. And Iowa kind of took care of business last night. I think getting Miles Johnson in foul trouble right away really helped. And, you know, I think that kind of disrupted not necessarily Rutgers' offensive flow, but I think they became a lot more perimeter-oriented than they wanted to be. Cliff Amore, I think he's going to be a really good player in the Big Ten eventually, but I think what Miles Johnson does offensively and defensively for this team is is so important. And without him on the floor, that kind of caused, you know, not necessarily confusion, but I think it caused a little distress amongst the team. And, you know, I think they were pressing at times, I think, the second half, they, they made some tough shots. Gil Baker made some really tough shots. Paul Mulcahy hit a couple shots as well. Caleb McConnell played really well. And, you know, I think Iowa just kind of – I don't I don't want to say – like this might sound really stupid, but it's just like at the end of the day they hit more shots. And, you know, really that's all you can ask for when it comes offensively. And I think the defense too from game to game has just looked a lot better from the standpoint of – you know, sometimes teams are getting off looks. I mean, you look back at the Ohio State game, some of the looks that the Buckeyes got offensively were ridiculous. Same thing against Indiana, which is the defensive rotations and how they weren't able to slide over. And, you know, it really kind of just lost sight of, you know, whole defensive per- principles. And I think against Rutgers, I think looking back at the film, there was a lot more positives that came from that. And, you know, I think really Rutgers, most of their points, like in the second, I mean, first half, you know, they weren't hitting much. But in the second half, I thought they hit some really tough shots. That's that, that, that. You kind of look at and you go, okay, like, you got you to gotta, you gotta tip your hat at Rutgers from there. So I think defensively it was a lot better. Offensively, I think there were a lot of good things. I mean, Joe Wieskamp 
he played out of his mind. I think that's the NBA Joe that we've heard a lot of hype about throughout the yeah. season, the off season. Yep. And, you know, I just think things really start to click a little more and definitely having CJ Frederick up out there helped too. Yeah. I was going to bring up my post game article last night, just basically dealt with CJ Frederick. And, you know, I think if you look at the numbers, you just kind of can say, you know, it's, he's a good player, but Iowa should be able to overcome you know, some stuff without him. I still think that they should have won a couple of the games that they lost came down the last possession, but even just being out there last night, Sean, I think it's fairly obvious to anyone who's watched this Iowa team, just how valuable CJ Frederick is to this team. I mean, he's one of the team's best perimeter defenders. He's shooting a nearly 50% clip from three point range. He's a gamer and he's just a guy that winning teams need to have on their team. And I think his ability, even if he isn't getting shots, making shots, it's the ability to space the floor that's a threat because if you leave C.J. Frederick open or he gets going in transition, he's going to make you pay. I think Luca Garza, while he missed a couple of bunnies last night, and he admitted that he just should have made a lot of the shots that he missed, just the ability to space the floor played such a pivotal role for Iowa's offense last night. And I think that I've, I've said this, over the last couple of weeks, more and more, Sean, that Iowa's team is so perfectly constructed to go to a final four. I know their defense is the big issue. I'm not ad, like I'm not crowning them and saying guaranteeing they go in the final four. With that being said, they cannot afford any injuries because I think that just totally takes Iowa off their path to success. I think Jordan Bohannon needs to play uh, his best basketball. I think Joe Wieskamp, what we saw last night. Iowa needs that. I mean, that was an alpha dog Joe Wieskamp last night. He was in full attack mode. He didn't care if there was a hand in his face. If he wanted to shoot it, he was going to shoot it. Over the last six games, he's shooting 59% from three-point range. While that's going to be incredibly difficult to keep up, it's just the precedent of he's looking to attack. He's in attack mode. He's not playing Robin to Luca Garza. But they're still working in Luca Garza, obviously, in the offense. He had 20, 20 shot attempts last night. But the team on both ends of the floor, Sean, just looks so much more comfortable and confident when you when CJ's on the floor. And I'll bring this up. Keegan Murray continues to blow me away. I think his tenacity on the offensive glass, that rebound that he got last night, Sean, on the missed free throw, I think it was a Jordan Bohannon missed free throw. He was the only Hawkeye down there with four Rutgers guys. He pulled in the rebound, got the timeout called. And that's a play, when you look at the games that Iowa has lost, Iowa just hasn't made. And Keegan Murray was able to make that play. While it probably wasn't the dagger to the game, it, it was one of the things I think ultimately just kind of sealed the deal. But, uh, you know, I think it was a very impressive performance for Iowa last night. I think their defense showed signs of life. But I, I want to dive into this a little bit with you too, Sean. Do you think Iowa plays too much zone defense? I think that that's their main problem. I think man-to-man's not fantastic. But I think Luca and Jack Nungy have done a good job of Rim protecting to some extent. Uh, I think there you'd rather have teams take tightly contested twos than open corner threes. When Iowa's running his own defense, Sean, it feels like any team can get an open corner three at any time because they know how to work around it. Yeah, and I think Brian Snow did a really good piece not too long ago about you know Luca Garza and the foul trouble and you know talking to Big Ten coaches about it, and they kind of mentioned like, hey, like Iowa is the only team that we can really run our full offense through in the Big Ten. And that kind of says a lot because, I mean, you know, the Indiana – or the Big Ten's known as, like, the grit, the gritty conference, you know, the pack line, you know, the defense, the physicalness, the, you know, everything that kind of, you know, Midwest kind of blue-collar embodies. And 
when you have a team that struggles so much defensively like that and but is so good offensively like you're going to be able to play in games because I mean defense defense travels that's what that's my saying that's what coaches always say defense travels and you know when you don't bring it defensively and your offense isn't clicking but you rely so much on your offense that's going to cause you a lot of trouble and that's why a team hasn't made it to the final four that has a sub top 50 defense since VCU. And, you know, that was more just like, Hey, we got hot at the right time. And, you know, that happens in March, but there's also times where that doesn't happen. And that's where you see upsets. And, you know, I think with the zone, my, my biggest thing with the zone is there's definitely weak spots with it. I look back at the play in the second half when Ron Harper kind of just seeped up into the middle and there was really like no one within five feet of him. He just got into the middle of the zone got a nice bounce pass, you know, turned around, wasn't much resistance in front of him, you know, just put up an easy floater that I can't remember if it was for an and one or not, or it's just a regular floater, but it was just a really easy play. And, you know, there really wasn't much resistance at all. So I look back at that a little bit. I also think rebounding, I think that's where some of the biggest issues are because when you play a zone, it's a lot harder to rebound out of a zone than it is man-to-man because, you know, you're following a man. You always have your man on you. But when you're in a zone, you're guarding an area. And when you're guarding an area, it's a lot harder. You have to communicate. You you know, there could be two guys in different spots that, you know, might make it tough for two guys defensively in the zone to really react and, you know, which ones that they have to box out. And that makes it a little tougher. Well, with man-to-man, you're on a guy the whole time. You know who you're guarding. You know, you have to box out. You have to box out the closest guy. And I think there was a couple of those situations against Ohio State. And I think Indiana Indiana as well, one that stood out was when Tony Perkins and I think it was Joe Wieskamp both went in for the rebound but did not get a man at all. And it was a long rebound. They kind of just looked up at the basket. It was on a three-point shot. So, you know, it was going to be a longer miss if it ended up missing. Both guys kind of just stared at the ball were around – you know, two or three feet away from the basket and didn't grab a man. And Trey Galloway for Indiana got the easy got the easy rebound about, you know, midway through the midway through the lane. And stuff like that, like tiny stuff like that that I've noticed is really frustrating with the zone. And I'm sure the coaching staff feels the same way. Cause like I said, I mean, there's different principles in a zone than man to man that you have to take into account for. Like I said, rebounding. It's so important in man to man because you have a guy right on you while in zone, it's like you're guarding an area. It's like you're not necessarily guarding a man. And, you know, I think I I, I understand the zone because sometimes you have to go to it. But I also think there's situations like Rutgers yesterday where, you know, Rutgers was not shooting the ball well. And instead of, you know, as we've seen with Rutgers, some of their guards rely so much on dribble penetration that with the zone that kind of takes away that dribble penetration or like their efficiency to do that I think Geo Baker is such a good one-on-one player that that's another thing you have to take into account so I understand why they went to the zone but I also think like Rutgers just did a better job of executing against it and you know finding those open gaps finding those open lanes finding the man in the middle to get those easy buckets and that's where you know they were kind of exposed yeah. And, you know, again, I think that it's a couple of interesting points there. I mean, we've kind of seen this all season long, I think, though. And I, like you said, I understand why Iowa does switch. I mean, Iowa is not good enough in man 
to, you know, don't solely rely on man. And I think it is a healthy thing to switch up defenses. But like you said, Brian Snow's piece, teams have just kind of figured out how to navigate through that. Sean, something else I want to touch on. I kind of want to just go back and forth on it. Obviously, no matter what's happened over the last couple of games, including last night's double-digit win over Rutgers, there's a lot of questions about Joe Toussaint and kind of where he fits in with the team right now. I, I have my own opinion on it, but I want to get yours first. Do you think that this is something that people should be concerned about? Should he be getting more minutes? Or what, what's your kind of just overall take on this situation? Because right now it seems to be, I mean, dominating Iowa social media, to be quite frank. Yeah, I I think the one thing you have to look at is I, I saw it the other day that Joe, Joe Tustan is a turnover rate of 27.3, which for those at home, so that's every – 100 plays he's turning the ball over 27 times and take into account that he does not play you know a ton of minutes I think he's the eight, the others. Eight, eighth most minutes on the team I think total yeah some something along those lines so yeah I definitely think it's it's a concern I think offensively you know that's just kind of how he plays very fast but I also think he gets ahead of himself a lot but I think from a defensive standpoint like it depends on the matchup too like I think he definitely would have played a big role yesterday against Rutgers with how good those guys are, with how good those guards are and how good they are, you know, dribble penetration, creating for themselves off the bounce. And I think there's a couple other matchups in the Big Ten where it's similar to that. But I think, you know, I think it all depends on the matchup. And I think, too, Aaron Euless, we've kind of seen more run from him. You know, he's not getting in like like 10 minutes every game, but, you know, we'll see four or five minutes, three minutes here and there. And I think that maybe plays a role with it because I think, Ulysses is more reliable from an offensive perspective. But I think Joe Toussaint, I think what he does defensively is really big for Iowa. Because, I, I mean, even the other day against Indiana, like the pressure and, you know, like the defensive intensity just seemed to have a different sort of vibe to it. Like it's yeah. totally different vibe to it yep. when Toussaint was on the floor compared to when he wasn't. And, you know, that really rattled the Indiana guards. And, you know, that, you know, kind of played a factor. I mean, I know Toussaint had a foul um, or something in that game. And even yesterday, too, he had a foul that, you know, I think could have gone either way. But I think what he does defensively is really, really vital to this team. And, you know, I mean, I'd like to see him play more, but I understand where Fran McCaffrey is coming from, where he doesn't play, where he isn't getting as many minutes because what he, I mean, what he does offensively, like you just, that just can't happen. Here's my thought is what, what has Iowa been missing with CJ Frederick out of the lineup, Sean? I mean, they, they miss a guy who can space the floor. Joe Toussaint can't space the floor. He, he just can't right now. He hasn't proven to be able to hit the three-point shot. And I think this is what Fran McCaffrey's thinking is. Obviously, you, you brought the turnover rate. I was going to go that direction as well. And keep in mind, Iowa's offense right now, is averaging nine point. I mean, I was averaging 9.6 turnovers a game. That's on pace to break the school record for least amount of turnovers. And where I'm going with this is. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. 
Iowa, I think Fran understands this. Iowa defensively is never going to be good. Okay. I think everyone needs to understand that right now. So his thinking is I need to get Jordan Bohan. I need to keep Jordan Bohannon on the floor for 28, 32 minutes a game because he can space the floor, because he can just get hot from three, because he can make plays happen. And he does, just doesn't turn the ball over as much. I know he had four turnovers yesterday, but he was, I think, second in the Big Ten Conference and assisted turnover ratio hanging in that game. So where I'm going with this is I think that his thinking is I need to be able to space the four. I need to be able to keep our offense at this level because even though our defense will be slightly better with Joe Toussaint in, it takes that big of a hit as far as what the offense can do. So at least that's kind of my thinking about it. And on top of that, I don't believe that maybe, maybe you think differently than me on this, Sean. I don't believe you can play Joe Toussaint and Connor McCaffrey together, if at all, because there's just not enough shooting right there. Unless Connor can start hitting, what, 37% of his threes. I mean, maybe that's the magic number. Then I think we're talking a different story. But if you're playing Joe Toussaint and Connor McCaffrey together, I mean, they're, they're just going to be collapsing the paint. Iowa's not going to be able to get any open looks, or they'll give Joe Toussaint an open look from three. I mean, they're sagging six feet off him. I mean, he's obviously probably one of the quickest players, if not the quickest player in the Big Ten Conference. But, you know, if you got a six-foot head start, he's not going to blow by you. So, I, I, well, like you said, I'd like to see him maybe get a few more minutes, maybe cut down a couple more minutes, because Iowa at times just does need that defensive boost. But I think, I think Fran McCaffrey likes – throwing Tony Perkins in there over him right now because Tony Perkins, I think, is showing that he can be a pretty decent defender. He's got more size. He's got more length. And I think Tony Perkins has made a couple big, big-time winning plays, especially on the glass and a couple of tough end ones since he's kind of grown into that role and gotten that opportunity. But like you said, I'm very interested to see what Joe Toussaint's role is going forward. I think that he can be a difference maker between a win and a loss at some point in the year. But – yeah, I, I just think that Fran's going to ride or die with his offense because they need to be able to have that offense. I mean, it's number one by Ken Palm uh, for a reason. I think it's the third best since the 2001-2002 season. So as far as Iowa's deficiencies on defense goes, I think people need to realize, while it might not – it, it kind of sucks they don't have a dribble penetrator playing heavy minutes, Iowa's offense is still ridiculously efficient. Yeah, you bring up a good point, too, about, you know, I don't think you can really play Joe – and Connor together, which makes a lot of sense because, I mean, other, neither of them can shoot the outside shot. And as a team that depends so much on spacing the floor and, you know, hitting those shots from three, like that's vital in any, in that, in that offense. And, you know, I think, I think there's an argument to be made or some people have made an argument about how Tucson and Bohannon get treated differently, but just kind of look at what Bohannon brings to the floor from an offensive standpoint, I mean, he stretches the floor for you. He can make the pass. I mean, he turns the ball over at times, which, you know, causes causes some heat. But I think defensively, you know, obviously he's not on the same level as Toussaint, and I really think there's a big gap there. But I just think what you do offensively with Bohannon on the floor is just so much more efficient when you put – when you have him on the floor rather than, you know, a Tucson. And I think, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I just think, I think Bohannon's offensive upside is a lot more crucial to Iowa than Tucson's defensive upside at times. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, I think that's an excellent point, Sean. And 
But with that being said, I do think that Joe Toussaint should be playing more than spare seconds in the second half. I think he's a yes. good enough player. I still think he brings yes. enough to the floor. Uh, I think specifically about the when Iowa was up 61 to 50 against Ohio State and Iowa just started quick launching threes because they relied on the hot hand. I thought that would have been a perfect time to throw Toussaint and Perkins in there just to get some stops because I think when they blew that lead, that was the game right there. So that's something to think about. Going forward, uh, Iowa go, traveling Michigan State. I know people are talking about the Fran fade, but you know, like you said, I hate using the term must win because it feels like such a watered down phrase at this point, Sean, but Iowa really did need the Rutgers win because this stretch is not going to get any easier. I know they're going to reschedule Nebraska at some point in the next couple of weeks, but Iowa's got Wisconsin twice. They got Michigan state traveling to Michigan state. I don't care how bad they are this year. It's at Michigan state. Iowa is I think one in 22 in their last 23 visits to Michigan state. And Iowa plays Michigan still this year. While a Big Ten title is probably out of the question, if not totally out of the question, I haven't done the math on that yet. Iowa can still play for a double bye in the Big Ten tournament. There's still a lot to play for, and momentum travels in March. If Iowa wins, you know, five of their last six games or whatever it is heading into the the NCAA tournament, Iowa's going to go in with a lot of swagger, a lot of confidence, and I think they're going to be a very trendy Elite Eight type team. Yeah, it's just I was looking at the brackets the other day, and I think a three and four seed is probably the most likely right now. And you know, I think a lot of people definitely would have wanted a one or two seed, but you got to realize how good you have to be to be a one or two seed. Like obviously, Gonzaga is kind of in a league of its own. Um, whether you like it or not, they're going to be a one seed. Michigan, I mean, who knows what's going to happen there? Um, Villanova, Baylor, you know. I know this probably will rub some people. I mean, probably Ohio State, too. I think Illinois is a good chance of maybe being a two seed, depending on how the rest of the season goes. But, yeah, I mean, this these last six games are crucial. Like, Michigan yeah. State, that is a – that's what you call a must-win because Wisconsin has been kind of up and down lately, but, you know, they've been playing well. They always seem to be better towards the end of the year. Penn State is a team that we haven't really talked about lost a ton of games to start the season, but I put some impressive wins. Played Michigan. I know Michigan State's not good um, to some, but they played them really close in East Lansing the other day. Ohio State's playing like one of the best teams in the country. We don't really know what Michigan's going to be like when they get back. And then Wisconsin again at home. Like, that is a very, very tough schedule. Outside of Michigan State, all five of the other – or all five of the other games are against top 30 Kempom opponents. And, you know, with the way that I was played going through that stretch, like, and I mean, two of those games are at home too. like Ohio State's on the road, Wisconsin's on the road, Michigan's on the road, but then you play Wisconsin and Penn State again at home. Like that is not, that's going to be a very, very important stretch because that could be the difference between this team being a three and four seed versus, you know, things go really, really bad then they could end up being, you know, a seven or an eight seed, honestly. Like, if things end up going – like, that's worst-case scenario. Absolutely. They I mean, they're, they're locked seed. for the tournament. Like, I want people yes. to realize it now. They lose out, and I still think they'll make the tournament. I, I do. Yes. Um, but it would just not look good for Big Ten seeding and, you know, NCAA tournament seeding. I think if I think if they get at least four out of the two – or if they get at least four out of the six, I 
think they're going to be good for a four seed or three seed at the highest. I think they honestly. can get a three seed with it. It depends on who they beat. I mean, it's basically quad yeah. ones out, right? Unless Michigan State, out, I think, is a quad two right now, correct? I think they're in the 80s in the net still. Nebraska so, yeah, is bouncing back and forth. Is they, okay, then Nebraska is just scraping the bottom of the barrel. Uh, and then, like you said, Ohio State. Wisconsin, Michigan. I mean, Iowa's tough stretches. You know, it's preloaded. You know, I do. I know we talked about the Tucson thing already, Sean, but I, I don't think we addressed this directly. And I still think it's worth bringing up. I mean, should Aaron Eulis and Tony Perkins be playing over Joe Tucson at this point? Like I said before, I think, I think Tucson's defensive upside is probably the highest on the team, um, along with Keegan Murray, just because he's so dang versatile and long. But I think from an offensive standpoint, Aaron Ewis and Key and uh, Tony Perkins give you a lot more. And I think that's what Iowa goes for. Because, I mean, you you want that defensive offensive balance for sure. But I just think there's some things that Aaron Ewis and Tony Perkins can do that they've proven over the last couple of games that, you know, they're, they can make an impact on the floor. And I'm not saying Joe doesn't do that at times, but I think you just have to look at that turnover rate and you're like, oof, like that is not not ideal. I think defensively, you know, he could have an impact, but I think just offensively, there's just too much that hasn't been going his way lately that you're kind of like, ah, I don't know if I could play. I don't know if we can play him that much. I, I think Fran's kind of adopted the habit, Sean, of throwing Tucson out there for a few minutes. And if he plays well, then you know it's his night and he's going to he's gonna play him a lot. If he's off, doesn't even think about putting him back in. I think that's what he's realized because we've seen over the course of Tucson's career at this to the, up to this point, when he gets going early, he's, he's that all game. But when he gets down, it, it, it's a little bit tougher for him to bounce back. Agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. I also, like I said before, I think it depends a lot on the opponent who you're playing. Like if you're playing guards that, you know, are also very good defensively, I think that gives them a tough time, but if you're playing guards that aren't as good defensively but pretty good offensively, I think those are the ones where he kind of thrives in. But, yeah, I think just what Eulis brings to the table and same thing with Tony, I think what they bring you just can't ignore. Um, I mean, we saw it in the Rutgers game. We've seen it with Perkins the past couple games. Not like a huge scoring threat, but I think offensively it gives you more size, gives you more of a, you know, another guy to kind of rebound the basketball from the perimeter. And he's been able to take the ball to the rim. And, I mean, I'm not saying Joe doesn't do that, but he just gets way too, you know, out of shape sometimes with the way that he he attacks the rim and just makes some, like, decisions where you're like, okay, like, what what were you thinking there? Yeah. So that that's where I kind of draw the line. Yeah, no, and I I'm, – I'm in the same boat as you, I think. And I guess I think – to wrap up this part of the conversation, I do think that Joe needs to be playing a little bit more. But I, I, I don't think it's – outlandish to see why Fran McCaffrey is doing what he's doing. I, I don't, yeah. a lot of people do. I don't, I, that that's, that's my two cents on it. Uh, something that somebody wanted to ask Sean that I've kind of gone back and forth about myself is, you know, we talked about the importance of CJ Frederick. I just wrote my column last night about it, but I, I it's tough for me to crown CJ as the second most important Hawkeye. I know Luca, I think Luca Garza is undisputedly the n- number one, for obvious reasons, National Player of the Year. But uh, an aggressive Joe Wieskamp, though, too, you can make that case because when he's on, I mean, man, that kid is 
as good as any wing in the country. I think last night he played as good as any wing in the country could possibly play. Incredibly efficient. was on the glass, was tenacious defensively, had a couple mental lapses there, but that'll happen when you play 34, 35 minutes. But what CJ does with the stat sheets or off the stat sheets, he, he, he just makes Iowa better and the team flows better with him on the floor. And there's just a certain swagger that he brings to the table. I mean, what, what are your kind of thoughts about just, just CJ? Do you think he's the second most important Hawkeye or not? I've gone back and forth between him and Wieskamp. Yeah, I think he's definitely in that conversation. I would say this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I mean, Chad Lysico put, I don't have the stats out in front of me, but Chad Lysico, the Des Moines Register, got a shout out yesterday from the Big Ten Network about the stats that he found on how I was offensively versus, you know, when CJ's on the floor versus when he's not on the floor. And I think, you know, numbers never lie. That kind of speaks for itself. And I think what CJ does, I think he's Iowa's best balanced player on the perimeter. And what I mean by that is he's Iowa's best off. He's, he's Iowa's best offensive player that can defend as well as he does. If that makes sense. Yeah. He can guard on the perimeter. He can keep in his feet. He slides his feet well. Doesn't use his hands. Um, can guard the one. I mean, preferred to guard the two, but he can guard one through three. Um, he just does a lot of things well on the floor that you can't teach. And, you know, I think he spreads the floor. And that's what I've talked about before is Iowa, this team relies so much on spreading the floor and, you know, having that balance on the court, you know, not clogging too much up and, you know, having that balance where you can, you can spread out the defense and, you know, draw dribble penetration and, you know, driving kick. And CJ brings that with how good he shoots the ball. And especially with the way that he's been able to really improve his game from a um, all around standpoint, he can take his guy off the bounce. Now he can finish at the rim. He can, you know, he can stop and pop. He can hit some floaters. He just does so many things well. And you saw yesterday in the game. I mean, he's still, I mean, despite the injury, like the defense, like, he kept the defense honest. I think his shot definitely looked a little more flat than it usually is. Yeah, I mean it is. It is. I'm amazed at how how kind of straight line his shot usually is. Like it's not like a big. It doesn't have a huge arc on it, but I mean it's pretty like straight for how well he shoots the ball. I've always been really impressed with that. And you know, I mean, came into last night. I think he was somewhere around over 50% from three this year. I mean, granted, he's missed a couple games, but, you know, with how much he shoots the ball and how much defenses have had to, you know, stay honest with him, like, that's a very good number. You know, his turnover rate's really good, too. I think he's second in the country every 100 plays he's, he's uh, all over. Yeah, he's got 40 assists to four turnovers this season. Four turnovers this season. That's it. Yeah, so every – so that's – Every four plays, every 100 plays, he's turned the ball over four times. Like, just think about that. That is very, very, very good. He doesn't foul often. His offensive rating is, is, is elite. Um, he just does so many things well on the floor that, especially offensively, like, 
that just keep you honest. And he's not a shot hunter. He's not a guy that's going to hunt for shots. He's going to work in the flow of the offense. And you can really play him in any lineup, honestly, which I think makes him that much more important for Iowa. I think, like you said, I think you play him in a lineup, and I think he's almost necessary. I mean, he's a guy, Sean, that I, you know, if he was healthy, he's got to be playing, I think, 28, 30 minutes a game. I just think he's that valuable, whether a shot's hitting or not. But, Sean, I guess what's the what's the outlook for this team at this point? I mean, we could sit here and, you know, break down every single player, what we've seen. But, I mean, ultimately, this is a team that it's a very veteran-led group. They should be able to overcome this adversity. There's a lot of talk about the Fran fade, and, I've always said, you know, they they might they're probably not going to win the Big Ten title, but this team, no matter what Luca Garza accomplishes individually, which he will get credit for regardless of how this team finishes, people will remember this season based off what happens in March. The Iowa could win out, but if they got lost in the first or second round, that's what people are going to remember. This team, you know, I, I think it's just so important this year more than any for Iowa to get hot going into the NCAA tournament. Because you look at this, the Blue Bloods are out this year. Yeah, Gonzaga is still there if you want to consider them a Blue Blood. And I, I'd listen. I think they deserve that sort of respect. Baylor's obviously, I don't want to say an up-and-coming program. They've been elite under, you know, under Drew. So this is a year Illinois. where Iowa has – Iowa Illinois. Yeah, yeah, Illinois. No, no, Illinois, that's a good point. I, 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 do you want to consider them a Blue Blood, though, at this point? No, no, no. I'm saying they're they're playing like one of the best teams in college basketball. I think they've won like their past five or six games or something like that. And, yeah, you know they've just looked so dang good. Yeah, no, and I, I think I think they deserve that sort of respect too. Michigan, I'm curious about. I, you know, I'm not on the Michigan bandwagon yet. I think they have a lot of really good pieces. I'm not gonna be surprised if they make a huge run in the tournament, but I, I don't know. I don't buy them as a national title contender yet, but. This is a year, again, where Iowa gets hot. This this is the year for Iowa to make a Final Four if they're going to make a Final Four. They got the team to do it. The college basketball landscape is allowing them a window of opportunity to take it, and this team's going to be defined in March. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, we've heard the argument on Twitter. I think I've we've texted back and forth to each other and that I think this Iowa team, um, they're, I, think that's, I think they're suited for an NCAA tournament run from just how they're built offensively and how this team's put together. I mean, the defense, that's going to cause a lot of, lot of questions. And, you know, it hasn't rightfully so, but I think what this team does offensively is just so, man, I lost my train of thought. This offensively, like just what they do is like just so dangerous. Like Robbie Hummel said on the broadcast yesterday with Brandon Gordon that if, you know, this team is going to be so hard to game plan for, a day, a day in advance. And that's what you get in the NCAA tournament. Like, I think if Iowa can make it past the first weekend, that's going to cause a lot of, lot of issues for teams. And I think if Iowa can get past around 32, that gives, I mean, that'll give teams another week, but you know, that'll be so just so crucial to this team and you know how they're built. Cause I think if they can stay healthy, that's going to keep, that's going to keep the juices flowing. If CJ, I know that lingering issue, is going to be is going to cause problems for him. I think it will in this team going forward. But you know, I think the upside is just so high that you really can't count this team out. Now they just can't. You know, I said the upside so high, but like, what is the floor? You know, that's my concern. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think this team can make a Sweet Sixteen. I think this team can make an Elite Eight run. Don't want to say Final Four. 
think this team can make an elite eight run, but I mean, they I could see them getting knocked out in the round of thirty two, honestly. Even, I mean, even round of sixty four, just because I think one bad night shooting can really, really hurt this team. Now the defense has been a lot better lately. Like I'm gonna say that, but just the still one hundred twenty first in Ken Palm. Yeah, like there's just too many question marks for me on the defensive side of the floor that, you know, makes me kind of hold back on the expectations for this team. And I like to see what the momentum brings down the table. But, Sean, I think that we've probably about covered most of the bases here. It's a very important time for Iowa. Like you said, Michigan State, if they get a sweep against Michigan State, I don't care what Michigan State's done this year. If you ever sweep Michigan State, you're doing something right. Very big game for that team. I believe that's going to be a 1.30 tip time on Saturday. So I'll, we'll have to maybe throw together an instant reaction podcast after the game. But, Sean, any other final notes? I think I think we about covered all the bases, right? Yeah, I, I don't have anything else to talk to. I'm <laughs> sure I've, I have a couple more things from last night's game. Um, I have a C.J. Frederick piece and – I have a Keegan Murray one, a kind of a GIF breakdown, GIF breakdown, whatever, um, that I think you guys will like. So be on the lookout for that. Cool. HawkeyeInsider.com, David Eichel, Sean Bach. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at David Eichel at SBach247. And, yeah, well, uh, I guess we'll talk to you tomorrow since we'll be doing our football podcast. So until then, thanks again.